When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Happy birthday, Hugh Janus. I've heard you're a massive fan. So hello and welcome again to Rock and Roll, joined as usual by Ryan Wally. How are you doing, Wall? Yeah, good. Just enjoying a week off. Last day of my, my week off tomorrow. So yeah, just chilling. Can't fault it. And joining us this week, you might know him as Sparkles. We know him as Gato. Gareth Owen is here. <laughs> Gareth, what's the story, man? Why, oh. why are you Sparkles? Oh, right. Okay. Um, I didn't realise I hadn't changed my username. <laughs> right, I go on. Um, I go to a football dinner every year with um, friends from Manchester and and all around the place. And when I was on a fo- local football board, like um, six oh six message board, yeah, yeah, board, yeah. Um, my username was Sparky's kneecap, which was a reference to Mark Hughes, Sparky. Yeah, and um, one of the people just decided to call me Sparkles instead of Sparky. And it just stuck, so. <laughs> Wally was concerned that when someone was logging in, that Sparkles was logging in. I don't know if he thought yeah. he'd be racked or if he thought his luck was in and he'd, he'd landed <laughs> on the wrong site. Yeah. But, uh, Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah and I, I go, go on a Zoom, Zoom meeting with him every week and then I just obviously, I, I do it as a bit of a jest and I put my, my username as Sparkles, but obviously I forgot to change it back. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll kick off quite a bit of news this week. And we'll kick off with the uh, the big one first, the big news stories of the week. And that's uh, apparently people are preferring mashed potatoes to roast potatoes on Sunday dinners now. I don't know how we feel about this. And then 3%, like in baked beans, this is something I can't get on board with. Mm, but baked beans, 100% no. Um, my sister has been, which she cooks dinners for us, I've gone down in this and she, she've had mashed potatoes on dinners for a long, long time. So I'm used to that, but I'd rather roast with it as well. Like, Go rather roast potato. Yeah. I'm with you. I don't mind a bit of mash on a dinner, mm-hmm. but you've got to be throwing roasties in there. 
100%. This is the one thing. All he's looking confused. This is the one thing that's woke me up this week. All the news <laughs> that's happening, I don't care. But we can move on from Lions coaches and Rainbow Cups. So, as someone who oh, isn't know. a fantastic cook, I have mashed potato on my roast dinners every weekend because I put it in the microwave and I'm lazy as fuck. You put it in mm. the microwave? Yeah, micro mash from like supermarket. Fucking two minutes is done, mate. Whoa, oh, you, no. you've managed to lower the tone further, yeah? <laughs> Microwavable mash, like smash. Well, like smash, no, at least no, use a kettle with no, that. No, it's like actual mashed potato that you just chuck in the microwave. So which part of mashing potatoes are you not capable? Okay, you're boiling a potato and twatting the shit out of it, and yep. that's beyond your level? No, it's some lazy spot. So this is unbelievable. I, I, knew, I knew you'd bring something to the table. However, if given the choice, I all day long choose roast potatoes. Hang on, like, hang on we've moved on now. Because <laughs> my rant was going to be as well that people who think Yorkshire but uh, Yorkshire pudding should only go with beef and that fucking mint doesn't belong on every Sunday dinner. But now, people think that microwaveable mash, you've plumbed new fucking depths, there, my friend. This is you don't know you can stuff. buy microwaveable mash. I tell you, what's I, even I be- didn't even know. I didn't know that was a thing. I tell you what's even better is I don't know if all supermarkets do this, but the one I go to begins with M, ends in Orisons. Um, <laughs> they they have a microwaveable mash that's already has cabbage in it. And it's really nice. Really nice. Just make some fucking mash. I can't think of much easier to make the mash. It's easy, but why? Why? Why, why have... I don't know. Just don't Are you so under make... pressure you've turned to fucking fat by slim? What, 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 what? <laughs> I got even... I see one the other day, which is even new levels of laziness. Even beyond Wally's microwave. You can actually get a um, plastic tub, like a pot noodle... You just literally pour a kettle in the mash, stir it for thirty seconds, and the mash is done. No, that's no. I see. That's just taking piss. That's, that, that's, that's, that's the old, smashing it. That's smashing it. Yeah, that's, that's the old smash style. Ah, I, smash I, is fucking disgusting. Oh, but microwaveable mash is fucking right on the table. Yep. <laughs> anyway, we should probably talk about some rugby, shouldn't we? Probably. Yeah. I'm fucking shocked. This is why. This is the kind of shit on my negativity on Twitter. <laughs> it's this kind of bollocks that. that I'm having to tweet about. So, yeah, uh, last week, or maybe it was a week before because we, we skipped one, uh, Rugby Kickoff done some analysis of people's tweets, uh, their last 100 tweets. And to be fair, it did say that it was the more positive ones. But of the positive ones, we're very close, or I'm very close to the uh, most negative rugby account on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there were 70-odd accounts on his list. Uh, there were 17 people below me surprisingly including Cami Black and Squidge who knowing Cami Black and Squidge and Squidge are really happy nice people generally outgoing generally quite positive I think I mean Cami can remain quite positive despite being a Scotland fan so but yeah we, we're quite a way down our list well you've got to sit opposite me or well opposite the laptop every week and talk to me I was surprised <laughs> I'm quite far down the negatives well, you're not far. I wouldn't say you're, you're done the negatives. You're near, like you said, you're near the lower end of the more positive ones. Aren't you? I'm the of bottom the, of the top. Yeah. I, I, would like to, I, would like to, I would like to think that a lot of the reason why you are where you are is a positive thing because of the pod. <laughs> and I'd like to think the reason why you've gone up as to where you are is because you've got me on here with you and not just, not just by yourself. Well... I, what I did think was, if I'm that far down, given the past 12 months I've been the only optimistic Welsh person, 
how far down would I have dropped if I had been as negative as every other fucker about how Wales were going to perform in the Six Nations? Are you beating Robert Rees? That's all you need to know. I don't know. I don't know if Rob was on there. I didn't notice mm. Rob on the list. The battle of the alliterative rugby uh, Twitter accounts. <laughs> the, the... <laughs> That's fucking easy for you to say. Yeah. <laughs> right bunch of ours. Yeah. Um, I would say top three were uh, Michael Liner, Dougie Vipond, and Catherine Spencer. They're the most positive accounts on Twitter, which is no surprise that they've what I was happy with is the three positive accounts, but not annoyingly positive people. Again, this is why I'm far down the negative list. There's nothing worse than an annoyingly positive person. You know that person who's always positive and makes them an absolute asshole? Yes. None of them three are that. So I'm quite I'm quite happy with that. So yeah, I just thought I thought it was really good of rugby kickoff. Something a bit different. If you look at a rugby analysis, I thought that, that was made me laugh, and I know we've uh, we all had a few of us had a talk about it and where we were and comparing. And I'm coming for that title. I want I want bottom. I want dead last. You want to be the most negative rugby account on Twitter. <laughs> Not far off, mate. So, the big news today: Lions coaches have been announced. Well, we're lifting the uh, we're lifting the ban. We're lifting the drawbridge slowly. Or lowering the drawbridge slowly. You're going to allow you to talk about lions for a little bit. Yeah, it's got to be done. Mate. Fucking itching to talk about them for <laughs> for three years, and we've only done a <laughs> podcast for one. <laughs> um, yeah, it's obviously as as in the world of most sports or most um, sort of celebrity world. I suppose now it was leaked yesterday. I suppose that we knew exactly what it was going to be, even though the official announcement was nine thirty today. So. Um, when it comes comes down to it, it's not really a surprise of who the team is. When you consider the the likes of um, obviously Farrell, it, it sounds like is obviously um, requested not to go. Same with Borthwick, I believe, and Roundtree. Um, but I'm actually quite happy with the makeup of it. Um, obviously, you've got McBride and Jenkins have worked with Gatlin before, no doubt. Um, there's been conversations with Gat by Gatlin uh, with Tandy previously when he was at Mossbridge um, as well, and then obviously you've got Gregor Townsend who. 24 years ago, I think, was a Lions player on the South Africa tour in 97. Um, now going as a coach, probably could have and should have gone four years ago. Um, but obviously, he just got into the Scotland job. So I wanted to prioritise that. But um, I think I think all all round, that backroom staff has got a great mix and a great blend, especially when you look at the, the fact of Tandy and, and Townsend coming together. And as well, Scotland have played both in attack and defensively in the last year or so. What about you, Gat? You happy with that the Lions coaching setup? Yeah, definitely. It's just, it is like tried and tested, isn't it? And then, I mean, you can't get better kicking coach than Jenkins, really, can you? You know, with his international record, and he's gone on four tours as a coach before. Or is it? Is it his fourth now? I think is it. It's his sixth tour in total that he'll go yeah. on in, in both. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously McBride was around back in the Gatland days, so he's got somebody that he can do, rely on there, and. Um, I really like Tandy. Yeah, I'm 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 happy with that setup, to be honest. So, Tandy's got to be the one that that no one would have predicted like four years ago. Yeah, like Tandy when he was at the Ospreys, you wouldn't have said, "Well, that's a guy who's going to be on the next Lions tour." But he's done fantastic work to redeem himself. And like, obviously, it wasn't a great time to be an Ospreys coach anyway. And we've seen coaches come in and try and do the job and fail since he's left and it's only now they're starting to turn that round sort of on and off the pitch but you wouldn't have said 
Well, there was there were laughters when he sort of got linked with Australia and going down and coaching in the Super League, and then did a fantastic job. Did well. He moves up. He's the winner for Scotland. He looks fantastic at the moment. Like we talk about redemption stories. I don't think he was as bad as people made out ever at the Ospreys anyway. And I've been everything fucking worked against him as well. I don't think there's ever been a regional course before that's had to lose their first choice hooker because he's been bitten by a fucking lion. Like oh, I think he was. Yeah. So sometimes it's just like the gods are against you. So fair play to him to, to come back in a way he has and be included and rightfully included on this tour. Like I don't think anyone can argue and say, oh well, you know he shouldn't be there. So absolutely brilliant. You did say you were quite happy with the mix. It's been quite a good mix of coaches. I will say, like, if they ever do a Lions coaches, guess who? It's going to be the hardest fucking ball game ever invented. Mm. Uh, it's a we thousand times hard. The, the, the picture we had in the WhatsApp group, yeah? yeah. Do they have hair? No. Yeah, is Ross, well, Kemp, yeah, exactly. is Ross Kemp next online or is he? Or... <laughs> yeah, is he male? Is he white? Is he bald? Like, that's <laughs> it's, it's going to be a thousand times harder than that mastermind game with the coloured pegs and the Vietnamese woman on the box. It's like, it's the hardest fucking ball game ever invented. Uh, we've got a quiz coming up later, so you will need your phones for it. But um, yeah, there's a quiz coming up later on. Okay, I on, a, on a similar theme. Oh, okay. um, you said as well, Paul, you're really happy. I'm, I guess they're the, a little bit biased as well because it's very heavily Welsh and Scottish vibes. So I think it's a little bit easier for us. I, and I'm not saying that it's wrong at all because they are other coaches available like among the best coaches there but as a as a Welshman you've got to be quite happy with the way the nationalities are fallen if I was a Welsh or Scottish player now I'd be thinking I'll take that yeah I agree and then use that on the flip side because I hopefully this is you team me up to something that I'm always talking about um but like on the flip side a lot of English players, one in, partic- one in particular, um, might be worried that he may not be going on tour. <laughs> he could not be going on tour because his dad's not there, maybe. Um, I'm not saying, obviously, that's the only reason he would have got picked, but it would have been a massive... Let, let's just say... They George Ford and Mike, yeah? Yeah, that's it, yeah. That's it, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say the same thing. I didn't know George Ford's dad was a coach. Um, but no, I just think, <clears throat> I just think that... Now, the way that the coaching team is set up, that conversation doesn't have to be had. So it's probably works in... I'd probably, I'd probably say the squad's favour as well. That if, if he gets picked on merit, brilliant, pick him. But if it's down to 50-50 and his dad's not in the room, there's a chance he's not getting picked. And yeah. I think I genuinely think it could be down to a 50-50 between him and Russell or his <laughs> goal was like a third 10 or another centre option. Um, so I think having... Greg are there having Steve Tandy there and not having an English coach there or having Andy Farrell there could mean that that um, baby Faz doesn't go. Well, as we say, I, we talked about this before and I said, like, I don't think Farrell is the kind of person who would say, well, he's my son and I want him there anyway. I don't think he's, he's that no. man and that mm. coach. I think if he's not in the talk, in the running for the, the 10 or the 12 jersey, then Andy would quite rightly call it that well he's not the choice he's not coming I don't think he would take him on a favour it's always going to be a difficult one anyway Gatland does like him he's out of form at the moment you've got to say that like that that's 
very noticeable. Whether there are other 10s and 12s that are really putting their hand up and saying, well, I'm undroppable, is where the argument comes the other way. But we do then look at, as you said, it, it's got to be the case of me that if you're a, a Scottish, uh, if you're an Irish or an English player now, on the back of, at best, a mediocre Six Nations, the like island started to come good towards the end, but looked absolutely awful. And in the autumn, I said they were harder to watch possibly than Wales because they were creating nothing. And Wales were, were difficult enough to fucking watch as a Welsh fan. But then watching Ireland as a escapism was just as bad. Um, but if you're, you're English or Irish, suddenly you've got to be a little bit worried. Haven't you got that uh, there's no way to fight in your corner on the back of a bad tournament? Well, yeah, it's definitely just, I would say definitely, yeah, because um, I mean, looking at it purely from sort of a form perspective, you've got to say bigger and, and wrestle uh, the outstanding ones at the moment. And then Sexton, even though he's getting on a bit, he's 32 or not, he's, he's, um, I think he's going to push out people like Farrell and all that. But like, like you said, they've got no English backing in, nobody to say, well, hang on, they've, they've got this to the game, they've got this that they can bring, because i with them every week, and yeah, it, it is a little bit of worry for the English people, English and Irish there, that they've got nobody who's, who's with them players week in, week out, and actually knows different aspects of the game to what Gatland can pick up every so often, you know, because Gatland can't attend every game and I think I'd add into that though slightly. I think I think it's less of lesser of an issue for Ireland. I yeah. think it's more with the Irish players. I'll be honest. The players that I think are likely to go are obvious candidates. So yeah. the likes of your Furlong, your Byrne, your Stander, your Healy, Healy possibly Connor Murray, yeah. um, your Robbie Henshaw, maybe Ringrose. Yeah. Whereas the English players that potentially could go now, I think are more of a 50-50 call. Um, yeah. And there's no one that stands up and says he has to be on the plane. And that's where I think they're going to have a problem. Well, I think sort of your one player going into this that you would have thought was a nailed on was a Toji. And then he's had, again, a best than average Six Nations. I'm a, a big fan of his. Like I, I've said before how much he's, he's grown on me as a player and as a person. I think he'll probably end up going. Mm. I think he he'll, he should at least be on the plane. I think what we know is Gatland will get that extra bit of the players. But what we also know of Gatland is he's not afraid to be brutal. Mm. Like as Welsh fans, we knew it anyway. We seen him drop Nugget when he's he's one cap away from his, his century. He's he's dropped players and discarded players when they've no longer been what he needs. So he's very much someone who is the business. It's not emotion. Emotion doesn't get away. If you're an Irish fan you'll know it very well. If you're Keith Wood, you're probably still fucking seething about it because he <laughs> dropped O'Driscoll for mm. our third test in Australia. And absolutely got it bang on. Like, we can't, we can't argue when you look back at it because at the time it was a bit like, shit, he's better have got this right. And he did. It was perfect. Like, that, that third test against Australia, they weren't in the game. It's way though, if you are one of those players now who you thought, well, I've got a 50-50 shot. We know that he likes to do it slightly democratically as well and look at it to his other coaches to come in with ideas of what they think and what who they would pick. So, yeah, I think if I was English now, I'd be shitting my pants, to be honest. Well, I don't know if you've, if you've seen what he's done, the interview he did today um, with BBC. Um, 
he asked his coaches to name because he said I don't know if it was a slip of the tongue or if it's, this is what he's going to stick to. He asked his coaches to name a thirty-six man squad, each of them, um, yeah. and he said of the of the five coaches that are there, each of them had probably the same 20, 21, 22, and then the the rest differed slightly. Um, but he said when you count the different names that they had in total, it was up to nearly fifty names between the five of them that they named as potential Lions sort of squad members. So obviously, hopefully, then that 22, 23 that's core are ones that you probably think, right, that those guys are coming because those guys are, whether it's the best three hookers or whatever, whether he's gone, what's my preferred match day 23, that's it. And then it's all fitting in with the others. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to, to see. I think like we I had a little conversation and Steph, you're probably privy to this this morning. We sort of did a semi, what would our squads be if we were to pick it now? And um, I, I went with 38 before Gatlin said the 36, and I, I made obviously only six English players in there, but whether, and that was the lowest of the four countries as well. Um, whether that happens or not, obviously it's, time will tell, but it's going to be difficult for, for everyone, I suppose, because even though we've got Welsh and Scottish um, coaches on the, the coaching squad, that doesn't mean that they're going to get picked. Like if they don't deserve it, like the way Gatlin is, if they, they don't deserve to get picked, they won't get picked. And the one big call, which I think, flipping back to what you said about O'Driscoll, is maybe someone like John Davis. Like, Gatlin, under Gatlin with Wales, John Davis was first choice 13, and you knew when he was going to the Lions, he was going to start. Now, because of his injuries, wasn't massively in form, I would say, in the Six Nations, but did okay, and was, was sort of managed that 12 position for us. Is that someone that's going to be sort of potentially a 50-50 call. I think the thing that uh, Foxy will have going in his favour is that he has shown now he has got that ability to play 12 or 13, mm-hmm. which Gatland's obviously trusted with him before. He came through as a 12, we had this conversation, mm-hmm. and we had a big argument, and I was proved to be right, that he can play yeah. 12 or 13. <laughs> and I think that versatility, if they're going to boil this squad down and keep it as small as possible, then that's going to become very useful. If you're a centre who can only play... 13 or can only play 12 it's going to make it more difficult it obviously it's where it'll come in handy for players like George North like a year ago mm. I would have said North perhaps wouldn't be part of this Lions squad given the, the the Six Nations he's had I think he comes back into contention and then you go and he can play left wing right wing outside centre now so yeah. we'll I think that's it. the best thing that ever happened the North was to put it in the centre because it just completely transformed his game you know and it's just the way he carries up the ball, and to, for me, he'd be a he'd be a third in the Lions squad at the moment. But uh, it's just yeah. that experience as well, you know. I I agree. Like I I think the move to centre, which for years I I rallied against, and I said it was a bad idea. I couldn't see it working. It's stupid. He can't defend. He can't do this. He can't do that. His hands are not great. And then actually. Like when you, he, he's been brilliant. He's been absolutely superb. What you yeah. found is actually it, it suits his defensive style a lot more. It, it means that he can break the line like he was before. He looks great, and I think it's extended his career for a few more years as well. So it's been an absolute joy to watch. Um, so yeah, we'll wait to see. I think what it does mean, surely, finally, we get quite a few Scotsmen back in the in the Lions setup. Don't we yeah. on the back of this? And somebody probably key to Scotland's attack and defence as a potential bolter before the Six Nations now probably is even more of a certain as Chris Harris. Probably, with especially with Tandy there, if 
because we had we had a podcast with, with with Cammy before, and Cammy was the one who said to us about potentially Tandy being a being a Lions coach, yeah. um, because he said obviously coming in, he's got a short period of time. He can this is how you're working it and get a bit has been able to do that with Scotland. If you've got someone in your back line potentially who knows that inside out, he's an option at, to sort of lead that for him in training as well, isn't he? So like like what Roberts would have done before with Gatlin um, and Sean Edwards for for the Lions previously when he was like the Wales defensive captain, I suppose. You've got someone like Chris Harris who knows that method inside out. If that's the way that they want to they, they want to defend against South Africa. Yeah, and if you're talking over uh, our friends in Scotland as well, Johnny McGinty's been a massive advocate of, of Chris Harris and what he brings and everything he does. And I think no one's really nailed down a starting centre position. So it's there for Harris. I, I, a contender for, for player of the Six Nations for me, he's yeah. been that good. So. But we'll uh, we leave the Lions coaches there. We'll we'll do a, a squad because I know you'll be itching to, to announce your squad. So we'll do one soon. Mm. Yeah, we'll run through some potentials and who's on your plane and whatnot. Um, but the man that you already brought up, Owen Farrell, will help his cause that he's now Sarri's captain. I mean, captain of a championship club. But mm. do you think he'll help his cause? Not really, because he he's been named club captain, but Brad Barrett was club, club captain. And for the last year, Brad Barrett missed a lot of games. And when he played, Farrell was captain anyway. So I don't see how it's much different. He captains England and not greatly. Um, so I don't see, I don't see how it's really going to make any difference. Like they announced it. It's like I was half expecting it. I was half expecting the next tweet to simply say, "Do you know the water is wet?" Because he's been doing it anyway. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Well, scientifically, water's not wet. I think is the one of the arguments. The thing that water comes into contact with becomes wet, the water itself. Anyway, um, I, I asked the question on Twitter, where's he going to put the armband is the only thing, because we've, we've still got no evidence that he's actually got arms. No, Someone yes. suggested maybe, I think it was Rory suggested he just gets one printed on his shoulder. I thought maybe he could emboss it, and then if he hits someone hard enough for that shoulder, he could just leave it in. If they emboss it backwards, just leave that little, just bosh. Imagine if bosh, bosh, fucking great. That's marketing 101. I've card written all over it. <laughs> or maybe not because of his charity work. Well, I said, perhaps he could have the charity day. He could have the charity as the reminder. The donkey <laughs> sanctuary or whatever it is that he, he gives money to every month. Just bang. Just leave an imprint of a donkey's face on your thing just to remind you to pay your, your direct debit. Um, so one of the news for this week was going to be the Rainbow Cup. And the inevitable cancellation of the Rainbow Cup that's now no longer inevitable because mm. today South African uh, rugby officials have come out and said, No, still on, we're still, we're still going ahead, mm. everything's ugly dory. Um, so we don't know basically, we don't know whether there is a Rainbow Cup, there's not a Rainbow Cup, oh, it's somewhere over the rainbow, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I that's what they've called it the Rainbow Cup because the closer we get to it, the further away it keeps being. So I think that was a, a great pick of a name. Mm. Um, and there's a leprechaun at the end with a pot of gold. <laughs> yeah, the, probably in a fucking Leinster kit. Yeah. I think the, the pot of gold was the eight million that South African TV companies were going to commit to if it were. <laughs> um, 
I will say uh, the most exciting thing to happen because I was I was all for the Rainbow Cup. I'm a big fan. I think it'll be great. But uh, the most exciting thing for me so far was the Sharks kit that they announced because that was fucking beautiful. I don't know if anyone's seen that. I'm a sucker for a black kit anyway, but it was black with all the sponsors in orange, and oh, it was it was beautiful to the point <laughs> of I spent uh, Thursday in work uh, looking at converting rands to pounds to see mm-hmm. if I, how much it would cost me with shipping. It's still cheaper with shipping than if I bought a shirt you for almost any other club. Um, until though, I don't know if the government lit me with some sort of fucking shipping tax or make yeah. up new taxes that they can make up because they twats like that. So I almost bought, I was this close to buying um, a, a shark's kit this week. By spending all day, you obviously mean during your lunch break, Steph, just in case your employer listens to this. I said I was in work. I didn't say I spent all day. I said I was in work. I was very careful about my wording. Mm-hmm. And no one from my work still listen to this anyway. Um, I'll make sure of that. Uh, <laughs> fellow uh, Rainbow Cup teams as well, then. Osprey's doing a little bit of work to strengthen their squad end of whatever tournaments and competitions they may end up playing in next season um, Osher not the latest one to be added they're doing pretty well aren't they with the, the signings for next season they, yeah, they, of, of the Welsh yeah. regions they've been the most active and best signings at the moment yeah they're picking I, and they're picking up players that <clears throat> you could argue would be probably there or thereabouts to be in First choice of knocking the door for the regions they were at, especially looking at looking at somebody like um, I forget is is it is it Morgan isn't it the, the, Jack the Morgan. yeah Jack Morgan the flank of their centre from Scarlet's like for me he's been phenomenal this year and is someone that potentially obviously if Wales have got any sort of tours coming up when the lines are on he's a potential Wales tourist because the likes of Navidi, Tipperick, Falata you'd expect to be with the Lions. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it, I think it's impressive for the Ospreys. Obviously, we all know they've got the world's best fly off and Stephen Myler there as well. So that's that's another positive for him. So well, well um, Jack Morgan has gone from Scarlet. Yeah, Jack yeah. Morgan's going to he's at uh, the Ospreys next year. Him and Osh are not have left. Um I forget the name of the, the front row for from the blues who've gone down there. I, I did say I, I think the Ospreys don't pay their scouts um any travel expenses, I think, from the look of it, because they, they seem to be everyone's within driving distance within an hour. That, that's the only players they're looking at. I'm assuming that uh, Tommy Francis signing that was during the, the Autumn Cup, was it, when Wales were playing yeah. at Parker Scarlet's so that they could, yeah. they just nipped down here and had a chat with him instead. They Obviously, they're thinking of the fuel. If it had happened during the first lockdown when fuel prices went down, perhaps they would have looked at signing a few players from further afield. But uh, for now, they're not crossing that bridge at all. They, they, they stick in with... Uh, Fellow South Wales, they've already started the turn around. Though, like I talked to you about, like they've improved a lot this season. They've built well. They've obviously got the investment from Asia that came in. They've got this CEO or COO or whatever he was that used to be at Man City down there now as well, working on things. It's looking a bit bright there, isn't it, for the Osprey? I mean, it couldn't look any more dour than it did twelve to eighteen months ago, but. Things are looking looking good for the Ospreys, dare I say. Yeah. Come on, Kat. 
Well, I was going to say that, like, I think they were a bit of a, a victim of their own success. It, it kind of reminds me, in, with used football terms, that they were like the Real Madrid of Welsh rugby. You know what I mean? They were, they had all these the Galacticos they brought in, spent a lot of money trying to get all the stars of Welsh rugby, in, and and it kind of just, in the long run, it, it affected them because they had to, you know, sell them on when they were making the profits, etc. And it put them in the doldrums for quite a bit. So it is. Even though I'm, you know, a Scarlet's fan, I wear my Scarlet's badge on my sleeve, you know. Um, I would like to see the Welsh regions get back up to, you know, every Welsh region competing. So it's, it's, it can only be good for the game in general, you know. Yeah, great. Yeah, completely. And I, you mentioned that that Galacticos, and I know it's a thing that Ospreys fans have discussed in the past. And mm-hmm. the Scarlet's, uh, Simon Mandra came out this week and spoke about the Scarlet's defeat against Sale and how having so many players come back from Welsh duty was a massive... And, and claiming that they were calling Welsh moves during the game, that's how effective they've been by being away. Is anybody buying that? No. no. And I just say, as a non-Scarlet's fan, I was fucking fuming when he said that. Because to me... That's making suggestions. That's making suggestions that the players that play for the Scarlets that have just come back from international rugby are fucking idiots, mm. and that they don't understand it, and they couldn't work out because it's another fucking team in red that they weren't calling calls mm. in with them for Wales. That like if, if I if I the first if first thing I do if I'm Ken Owens and I read that is I'm knocking on your fucking door, son, and I want an explanation face to face, and that's mm. just Ken Owens. Like no one fucks with Ken Owens. Like you, you add into the fact that in that game Jake Ball was playing as well. Yeah, he didn't feature loads for Wales, but no one, even Anna Wynne Jones, wants to fucking mess with, with with Jake Ball. So why the fuck is this bloke coming up and and basically turning around and saying, "Oh yeah, our players are thick as shit; they don't understand what they're doing." That's bollocks. And as someone who's somebody who's a fucking suit who probably hasn't played rugby, that's he's he's a fucking lucky guy that he's still alive, in my opinion. So I mean, he's, like if I if I was one of those players. Somebody like a Ken Owens, I'd be certainly fucking knocking on his door. Yeah. Well, I, I came up with a theory that I, I spoke about with you. Um, I, I wonder if it's a little bit of a power play um, to use against the WRU. Obviously, a lot of the funding this year hasn't found its way to the regions, which is a little bit shady in some ways, like the funding that's come in comes from them taking part in competitions and they've had their funding cut so massively this year. They've had to take out loans just to survive, which have obviously got to be paid back. And I think what it means is at some point in the future, they're going to have to renegotiate the payments that they get from the WRU for the time that they give up for these players. Now, I wonder if this is a little bit of a power play that when those negotiations happen, whether he says but it's not just the time that they're away with Wales. We've got to look at the effect that the time away with Wales is having on our regions. Because when you went away and you had them for two months and you won a Six Nations Championship, when they came back to us, they were fucking rubbish because they couldn't stick to our way of playing because they're so built into this Welsh way. Now, I am not buying... It's a simple answer to that, isn't it? They're not ready. Don't play them. But again, so if they come back from Wales and they're not, they're not, they're not 
transitioned enough back into the Scarlet's way of playing or the moves and calls and they're not ready, you don't play them. If you sign a new player and they're not ready, you don't play them. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate on that point then. And I'll say to you, if you're then head of a region and the WRU were saying, if you don't play in Wales, you don't play for Wales, unless you've got 60 plus caps. And we've only got four regions here. And we're going to give a lot of money to one region, which is the Scarlet's to be fair. And we expect a large amount of that budget to be spent on bringing players back to Wales. Why would we bother? If if we can't play them for five weeks, well, essentially seven weeks, because if if we can't play for seven weeks during the Six Nations, we can't play them then in the autumn as well. And then you say, well, don't play them for a couple of weeks after until they're fully up to the speed of the level that they were at before. What's the point so they're an extra four weeks on there. No, that, that, why that, why that, do I want Welsh players? No, but that's it. That's the whole point. Like, if I'm saying, if he's turning around, and like you're saying, in regards to to them needing to obviously not knowing the, the, the calls and stuff, if you're a coach, you don't want to, you don't want to be not picking your best players because it's, in, it's a, it's a, and the way that the calendar is set is they come back, they have a week off and then it's Europe again. Like that's, that's just the way it's always been, which is unfortunate. But <clears throat> does that then buy into my theory that the reason he said this is because he's then saying we're losing them for more weeks than actually the games that you're talking about because we lose them for a week or two weeks or we don't have them at hundred percent because they're still they're still playing the Welsh way rather than the Scarlet's way. No, I don't think it's right. I think it's bollocks, but I think that's that's my theory on why he said this. Is I think he may be playing a little bit of a long-term plan. The fact of the matter, and we'll do because we skipped a week of um, of rugby, and I'm not going to get off easily with it because I've brought this up, so you're not going to get off easily with it as well. The fact of the matter is all the Welsh regions were fucking rubbish that weekend because the Blues came out of the traps looking like fucking the All Blacks, and then oh, well, I don't know what the fuck they finished like because to lose from the position they were in was absolutely horrific. Uh, it, it was terribly bad. Twice. So Twice. to be to be twelve or fourteen points up, to then be pegged back, to then score a drop goal in the seventy seventh minute, to be winning the game again, to then think, lose, fucking bo- absolute bollocks. And I know the Dragons didn't have as much players in the squad, but I think the Dragons were the only ones who actually gave a good show in in that in that week, and they were yeah. very unlucky to lose, to be honest. The Scarlets looked poor from oh they were dreadful from from the that first kickoff they put nothing together it, mm. it I not buying that it was moves out passes weren't going to hand they looked rushed they looked, they, and Sale just applied so much pressure I think that's why we've seen the frustration of the Jake Ball hit so the question's gonna be as well Jake Ball do we think that was a red? I'll get you first. Um, I don't think it was, no. Ball? No. I don't think it was either, right? I actually actually think it's a fucking great hit, and it's purely the fact of Faf so small. Like, I know that has to be factored in, and I know it has to be like... Well, I don't think he connects with his head. No, yeah. but I think it looks worse because of the height difference. And it looks worse because he's got long hair, and that sounds ridiculous, but his hair sort of flicks back. Now, I think he connects with his shoulder. And it, and people were saying, oh, it was an horrific hit because he could have damaged his knee. Yeah, well, yeah but that's, 
that's not a card for landing oh, on top exactly, of a player yeah. and his leg spread. Like that's yeah. never been a card. Like that that's just unfortunate. I don't know what you want to do. The ref said his hands are on the ball. I don't think it's contact with the head. I don't think I I think he got it right. I think it's play on personally. But I was just wondering because there was quite a lot on Twitter and quite a lot of people calling it out. And I could and I've watched it so many times that when I first watched it, I thought it was fine. Then I watched it again and I convinced myself it was a red. And I've watched it so many times since I thought it was a red. I'm now back to thinking it's just play on. Yeah. If if anything, it was actually quite funny. Well, obviously there's a little bit of beef between the two of them anyway. Yeah. And then at one point I thought Wynne Jones was trying to kill him because mm-hmm. Wynne completely lost at one point and there's three players talking to him and trying to pull him away and he doesn't take his eyes off Faf for a second. But the, the thing that, like, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's just reminding me of what I heard. So that was the first game that I'd ever heard Chris Ashton on comms. And obviously Jamie Lyle was there and Warby was there and it was like it was fantastic. Um. And Ashton on comms, while, while that was going on, actually made a comment saying he's spoken to Faf before. And the reason why Faf does it so much is because the players can't do anything. Even it doesn't matter if he's a seven foot forward, he can't knock me out because it's his red card. There's so many cameras. As long as I don't do anything that would be classed as illegal, all the winding up I can, I can crack on because they can't do nothing. I, I can't remember who said that's what makes Falatau the hardest man in rugby is because he gets sledged and he gets there and he does get hit. I mean, there are ways and means. If you want to hurt someone, there's ways and means of doing it legally. Yeah. As J. Paul proved that you got to do. But there's ways and means of, of hurting someone without stepping over that line into it's going to be a red card, whether that be sneaky or, you know, it's, it's done out of view. So there's still ways of doing it. But, yeah, you get that feeling with a lot of people. There's a lot of people who talk a lot and wind people up and you think yeah he wouldn't have done that 20 years ago because he would have been filled in by now yeah exactly no, I agree. whether that's a good thing or a bad thing I'll, I'll let you decide but uh <laughs> he's playing the richie mccall international rules of rugby i think he's on the just on the cusp of uh legality basically well i i went because as long as jake ball didn't do something to the point of he got a, a large ban mm. It's essentially his last meaningful game for the Scarlets, anyway. Yeah. So you got to think, nah, should he just hit him? Yeah. <laughs> just, just hit him. Out with a bang, literally. <laughs> yeah, just bam. And then, well, you, oh, you're banned for five Pro 14 games? Nah, it don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not coming back, mate. Yeah. Yeah. And the way we've seen it work now, it depends on who you've got as to whether they ban you for games or weeks. Or, But it's so long till his next Western Force, he would have been fine. Um, as is now a weekly occurrence as well. Um, hashtag Twitter values happened on the weekend, and lots of journalists came in their pants. Uh, Chesling Cole, he picked up some rubbish. Did we? Did we all see Chesling pick up some rubbish? Yeah. I mean, if he wanted to pick up some rubbish, he could have picked up that game because it was fucking dross. But <laughs> yeah, that was a thing. Yeah, he picked up some rubbish, and they were like, "Oh, it's great!" And then they realised it's the beers that he was drinking with John Klein and. Uh... Your, yeah. your 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 man friend. So, yeah, essentially, some South Africans that included the most beautiful man in the world mm-hmm. had some beers. Obviously, when they finished their beers, they dropped them on the floor and then they picked them back up like responsible adults. And apparently, <laughs> that's that's that proves that rugby's built different. It's what rugby's built on, though. It's the rugby valleys, isn't it? It's the rugby valleys. I mean, everyone quite quickly forgot 
that less than a fortnight ago, a female journalist talked about being assaulted and harassed mm-hmm. at games and at press conferences and at media events. But that's been quickly forgotten because Cheslin Drugger can't drop the camp at the canop. Always, a lot of these drugs, not always, but a lot of these rugby values seem to be based around beer. Like Did when we had... Charm offensive then, basically. Yeah. yeah. Was it Finn Russell and, and Stuart Hogg had a beer together? Was it... Was it, a... it was It was Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg had a beer together, but in the picture, they've, they've cropped out Johnny Gray because he, he was there as well. So you've got... <laughs> it, went all, it went all massive. In fact, oh yeah, Finn and... Finn and um, Finn and Hoggy have had a beer, it's all great. And then there's another angle you see that Richie Gray, sta- um, Johnny Gray, sorry, he's standing there, but yeah. from the actual picture, they use his cut out. But there was a lot of excitement about the fact that two people who were friends and who played rugby together had a beer together. Yeah. And apparently that was that was hashtag rugby values as well. Yeah. Where, no, that's, that's just people. Like, <laughs> it's like they've never met people before. Like that's the... Some of these people, some of these people who say these things, probably have never met people before. They probably yeah. still live, probably still living in their mum's bedroom at the age of fifty-six, sort of thing. And she cooks well, some, she cooks some porridge for their breakfast every morning. And mm-hmm. I'd like to think that if next season Real play UV in the Champions League, Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey will have a conversation at some point. Like you, surely this happens. Yeah. Like we, we know, rugby's not a different sport when it comes to that. So. It's quite nice that we brush all the shit that's happening under the carpet because Cheslin picked up his own can. And then um, I think that the last piece of news, I'm going to finish on something really upbeat and really good and a really good news story. Uh, Dwayne Peel is coming home. I say a really nice piece. Wall, you've got to be very happy to see that Dwayne Peel's come back to to his, his region. And this is it's a good news story, yeah? For the people who are not privy to how we prep this podcast, uh, <laughs> this item is mentioned on the podcast list as Dwayne Peel being a fucking Judas. Um, so yeah, that's my. Uh, to be that's fair, my take he's not being it. a Judas. He's had no connection with. Well, he's had no connection with Cardiff rugby's ever. Like, he's that's, a that's, Yeah, and he has never ever signed any contract with Cardiff rugby. Played for Cardiff Rugby, had any connections with Cardiff Rugby. He said he supposedly had a contact with the Blues, but they don't exist from this year. So it's only right that he finds a new club. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder whether I had a couple of uh, prep notes, obviously, and I wonder why the thing was mentioned about uh, Peel being a Judas because I know that didn't come from Steph. And I was thinking, no, now it all makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Not at to... all bitter. Trying to influence guests. I mean, I did say obviously they, they didn't get a memo about the memo about Cardiff Rugby being a global brand with great heritage and a massive history and known globally throughout the world, and it's the start of a new dawn. I'm guessing I didn't send that memo to Dwayne because he, he's he's back off <laughs> to Scarlet. Well, apparently, he's missed his fucking saucepans too much. <laughs> so it's fair to say you're. Not happy about it then, right? No, because I was over the moon and overjoyed the fact that we was he was coming to us because I think he's one of the best Welsh coaches currently in the game, and then he fucks off back to you lot. So I'm, not, oh, I'm, not say, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. I, I, I agree. Know, I, I think he is one of the best, most exciting young coaches in Welsh rugby at the moment. Yeah, but you are, yeah. So you know, because obviously Stephen Jones was, and he's gone up to international level. So it's been great to, to replace him with with a play a coach of of Peel's quality. Dad, yeah, how, how do you feel about? Uh, Going back to the Scarlet. Well, to be as, honest, in, I, as, an imp- as an impartial Scarlet fan, how do you feel about 
<laughs> no, but to be honest, in all seriousness, no, it is sort of it's in the it's in the DNA of Scarlets. It's all they've always been a club where they've bought their next players. They've bought in people who had an identity with the club. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, and, and it's good to bring someone back who's got a connection with the club, who was a legend of the club, who, who was still a good coach and can carry that tradition forward. Like I mean, Gareth Davis and Phil uh, Phil, Phil Davis and you know yeah, Steve Jones. Yeah. It's always been in the DNA of Scarlets to bring back ex-players and to carry on, sort of. Let's uh, bring it on its head then. Yeah. Dwayne Peel's coming back to Scarlets under Glenn Delaney. Yeah. As a coach, right. and then he gets offered the job that he's going to get at the Blues as a head coach instead. Are you happy then? Well, obviously, well, I, I, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I'm delighted to see him making his progression. Obviously, if yeah. for Scarlets, we've developed him as a player and moved as we did with Stephen Jones. No, no, I, but, I mean, I mean, like without him actually being on the fucking training pitch to even do one session. I don't well, think he'll do that. I think it is more likely from some of the rumours that they they're going round Clinetly that it may happen the other way, and that Dwayne may very quickly get a promotion. Because I think uh, the writing's not quite on the wall no. for Delaney, but those conversations no. are happening at the moment. Is is well, certainly those mutterings are happening uh, down west. So I think that uh, we may see him lofted up into the the hot seat a bit sooner than he expected. Which I think uh, probably, probably could have happened at the Blues if he was there with Mulvihill, but the fact that Mulvihill's gone, obviously, that's now... Yeah. And obviously, today, just before the pod, the Blues have announced, obviously, or Cardiff Rugby have announced, um, Diane's obviously there for a long term, which is... It's quite, like, it's, I have no issues with the fact it's Dyer, and it's more the fact that I was looking forward to how our attack our attack was going to be next season, mm. with with Peel there at the helm, um, obviously, with Priestley coming in, um, with the tarty backs that we've got at the Blues as it is. Um, I, th- I thought, obviously... Getting that getting that backline running next season with ball, that would would be something special, but obviously not. Well, I think you played some good because obviously it's looking like Sherat's going to go back to the Blues, which is a great way of of showing that it's a, a new a break and a brand new club and a brand new venture by bringing all your old coaches back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. And Sherat's obviously been there before, and you've played good rugby engine before and good attacking rugby, and obviously you ended up going up into the Welsh setup because of it. I think that's what possibly as well is another thing for Peel is not just the fact that it's his club, his region, essentially, but obviously like the link between the Scarlets and the Welsh job seems to be a very quick progression at the minute. There's people who've come in there from mm-hmm. from Gareth Jennings and Pivak and Stephen Jones, and then obviously we've seen them go elsewhere as well with Easterby coming in, given the head coach job, and quickly moved into into the island job. It seems to be a fast track to to international. And obviously, if this link opens up as well as is being talked about with the All Blacks, whereby players and coaches will be given the opportunity to learn by going down into whether it be the Mitre 10 or Super Rugby and meeting up with with clubs and coaches there and then the return being done. It, it's a fantastic opportunity. I think it is too good for him to turn down regardless of, of your feelings towards sort of where your loyalties lie. I think that at the moment, like that opportunity is there. Blue's a little bit lost, is it fair to say? Well, 
end of this season, I would, they're extinct, aren't they, the Blues? So. <laughs> Yeah, can't get much more lost than that. No, I know. I, I, I do. You know, it, it perhaps is a good opportunity, really, for Diane to come in there at the time when you're not then go right now is a fresh start and we do everything my way because the old way wasn't working. And so I think from next season, you'll start to, to bed it in, and we know how successful he was the last time he was there. Whether the don't go back rule will apply is yet to be seen. But I do think it's a good opportunity for Dwayne Peel and he, a great player who I, I loved. For, for Scarlets and Wales, and so I hope he has a, a great and obviously, like I want him to do well because it's a Scarlets anyway. But on a personal level, I want to see him succeed, it'd be great for him. But uh, yeah, I, I had to get a chance to have a little, um, a little wind up of all as well. <laughs> so I think, unless we've got anything else, that's about it for, for news, unless anything's dropped just now. No, it's it's just obviously just mentioning the sad news of Massimo Katita, who's obviously passing away in the last couple of days. So, um Obviously, former Scotland scrum coach, Italian, obviously, um, prop as well. But yeah, obviously, just condolences to his family and stuff because obviously, sad news for him passing away of COVID. Yeah, sorry, I did. I, I missed um, a brilliant player in his day, like at a time when it's weird because Italy weren't involved in the Six Nations in sort of the largest part of his career, sort of through the 90s, but had a bit of a reputation as giant killers. Mm. And now they are involved. Yeah. And They've got a, a reputation of being walkovers, so it's a bit strange. And a lot of those Italian victories were based on either, you know, usually Dominguez kicking, and then a ferocious Italian pack that he was a linchpin in. So um, yeah, I, a big figure, him and his brother, to be fair, big figures in putting Italy where they are today with regards to competing year in year out with the bigger nations. I say maybe they've lost that giant killers tag mm. I think maybe that comes from a little bit of teams being a bit more prepared as well and teams taking them a bit more seriously and obviously the the age of professionalism sort of dawning out that sort of it, it came the generation after his and obviously they said uh, his connection with Scotland as well he went up there and he, he coached the forwards and did a good job he's very well like mm. in rugby circles in Scotland by all accounts and yeah it's a sad loss and uh yeah, it's never one that you want to want to read, especially so young. No, agreed. So, moving on to uh, a quick roundup, a quick look at this weekend's games. And I say a quick look because, for me, I watched some French teams play this weekend and it's the worst decision I've made in a long time <laughs> because the fucking games were absolutely horrific. I didn't get to see many games this weekend because I had other things on, was doing other things. And I really wish I'd avoided the, the French games that I watched. Snap. I'm exactly the same. <laughs> I, mean, I, watched, I watched that Clermont game and I just, oh, it, it was like a game of chess. It was ridiculous. It was just tap, 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 take a penalty, go back, take a penalty, go back. And it, it was just, uh, Toulouse, even though it was always the three points, Toulouse did lock in control. And to me, I think Toulouse are, favourites to win it because they just got that extra quality in the side like DuPont etc you know but um, oh, it was just a boring game Well if you had said at the start of the tournament maybe the most exciting teams you would have gone to lose Claremont Bristol yeah obviously the Bears are fallen by the wayside so that, that was the game we thought right this is really going to set the tournament the light we'll watch this it's going to be fantastic everything's going to be great 
Yeah. Absolute dog shit. Not even the beginning of the tournament. Look at the previous week. Toulouse yeah. were fantastic against Munster. Yeah, the Clermont Cle- Cle- only won in the last minute against Wasps. And you just think like I didn't watch I didn't watch the games on, on Sunday. I rewinding back seven days, I said to you, well, I wasn't going to watch anything over the weekend. And I ended up watching four and a half games and then I'm on Sunday. Um, but from all I've read and what I've seen highlights of, obviously there was, wasn't any highlights from Sunday because it's fucking shit. No. The two games are kicking. So, And this is the thing, right? People will talk about the top 14 and get excited about the top 14. This is my experience of two French teams playing each other. And I know we get these little highlight reels and we get these clips on Twitter where to lose or go length of the field and mm. someone will throw the ball between their legs and then someone will chuck it over their head and someone will Cheslin Colby will spin around four times sides there's three people playing a ten for some <laughs> reason then be known to any fucker else, right? But every time I've actually sat on and watched a top 14 game, which isn't available to me at the moment, but you know it's been like that. And mm. I think like that's that's the top 14 to me. Or the away team drops all their, their big players and gets fucking bludgeoned to death by whoever they're playing. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a, a difficult watch, to say the least, yeah. to the point of, I, I, you know, you question, like, why am I still watching this? But I'm going to leave that one there because I've been very optimistic about rugby and I've enjoyed it. And for the first time in a long time, rugby's, I'd say, has been a joyous to watch. And so perhaps we just, that was the one game to bring us back to reality before we carry on. Because well, even watching Scarlet's get tonked by fucking Sale, mm. it was still, you could still take the, the Sale performance from it. Like Sale played well. It wasn't a shit game. It was just shit to be a Scarlet's fan. Well, like taking the positives from the games that I did watch on Saturday, but I would say one, the, especially certainly the, the one championship Champions Cup game or Challenge Cup game that I watched and then half of the Exeter Leinster game both those matches that I watched in the European competitions at the weekend were fantastic um, adding to that the, the Bath and, and Irish game on Friday that, that was that was a great game as well um, so I think it was just the French teams that let us down at the weekend I don't think it was a necessary across the board um, adding to that obviously we can, we, go, we can go on to it in a sec but the other two games I watched at the weekend were the women's Six Nations games as well. And although obviously they both look on look on paper as though they were absolute tune-ins for the two teams, they were both very enjoyable games to watch. Um, so yeah, I, although I wasn't going to watch any games at the weekend, the four and a half I did watch, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I need to make better life choices, and we mm-hmm. won't dive into them in a second. That let's go into them now because um, I've seen the highlights of the the women's games. As someone who watched them all, then good watches, enjoyable, brilliant. I thought first, but I'll go in order. Go in order, but the Italy, um, England game. I've seen England play probably. I've watched them the week before. They played obviously against France in the, in I think it was the autumn or the end of the last Six Nations. It was on BBC, so I probably watched England more than I've watched a lot of others and social media and stuff. And that Italy game, that first. 25-30 minutes of that of that game on Saturday is the closest I've seen anyone play against England. Like it, Italy was so up for it, their defence was, was fantastic. And the first 14 points that were scored by England were because it, Italy were attacking. They dropped the ball sort of inside England's half or, or into, on England's 10 metre line. And there's two tries that are scored because one um Emily Scarrett picks the ball up and just goes the length basically. 
Um, and then the next try, I think it was Meg Jones picked the ball up, um, got pretty much goes a length, gets tackled just before the line, and then offloads it to, to um, Fleetwood. And obviously, she dies over. So it's 14 nil. But at that point, England didn't have a ball. Mm. Italy, were, Italy were just all over them. And then you, it was it was as if, and this is one of my my winners that I've got listed, so I'll use it now instead. But you watch that second half and you think, oh, England have got a great great fifteen here. And then you look at the England bench, and the England bench that came on in the second half included both Poppy and Brian Lee Khalil, um, Hannah Miller Mills. She came on as well in the second half. You had. Uh, Zoe Harrison, who came on, Lark Davis, Anna Bottoman, all people that are probably in most in most nations starters. And um, there was a period in that second half where England scored something like three or four tries on the bounce, um, sort of back to back. And it was it was funny because England score, and while the score happens, they make I, I think it's a quadruple substitution. So they bring on two new props, a new second row. And they bring on um, Poppy Clear at eight instead of um, instead of Zero Hunter. The, the, the Italian fly half kicks off. The ball's caught. There's a tackle. The ball gets moved left. Brian Lee Cleal carries, gets tackled, offloads to Hannah Miller Mills, who makes more yards. The ball's then recycled and goes left. Poppy Cleal makes about 40, 50 yards on a burst, like Falatau esque running down the, the, the touchline. Guest tackled, ball gets recycled. After a few phases, England score. Italian fly-off kicks off, and exactly the same thing happens. There was three or four occasions straight off the bat where they just did the same move, mm. but Italy could not live with it because of how good those players are. Um, and it was just like, it ended up being, the final score obviously was 67-3, but like you watch, if you watch the game, that first that first thir- certainly 25-30 minutes and then the little probably the first 10 minutes of the second half, it's a much closer game than what it suggests. But when England emptied the bench like they did, uh, there was only going to be one winner, and obviously that, that was proven. So I think the biggest problem, although the, the games are close, we're seeing the lack of funding yeah. going into the game from some nations. Yeah. And I think that's what we're... Now, I know World Rugby are talking about there'll be a whole new competition and, you know, we'll see more money going into the... But surely we need to see something at the tier below. We need to be seeing something at club level, regional level, provincial level, to help bring those players up. I know that's easier said than done in some respects. I mean, I think I don't think it's that difficult to put a bit more money in. What we need to ask the question of is how much money can we sustain? Mm. For me, it becomes a big thing of that money needs to go in for it to become bigger. So I think we've got to accept that starting off, we probably are going to lose money. Yeah. And this is where I've got a big issue of what I've been ranting on for, I don't know how long at the moment, of the game being tucked away on the red button on iPlayer. Now, as it happens this week, iPlayer or normal telly, I couldn't do games this week. And that goes for, as I said, men's games as well on the Saturday. I missed all the fucking men's games around as well. But... This is where I've got the major issue of the, the game being tucked away on a red button when BBC have got rights away so they can show fucking antique road trip or okay. 
flog it or a 1981 episode of Top of the Pops or whatever else they've showed over the past couple of weeks. Agatha Christie murder mystery. Mm. Like, it needs to be visible. First of all, for for girls to watch that game and pick that up and say, well, okay, I, I can be that, I can do that. I, you know, you've watched the, the Men's Six Nations tournament with your family a few months before. You've seen Wales go on to, and then you think, well, actually, I could become that. I can do that. And I can be out there playing the same as my brother can, my cousin can, my male friends. And it needs to be there. And then, obviously, by doing that as well, you're going to attract more companies and more sponsors. Because mm-hmm. if you're looking to sustain a team and you're looking for sponsors, well, obviously, sponsors are going to be more likely to put money in if that's shown on BBC One or BBC Two at three o'clock on a Saturday than if it's tucked away on a red button for only people who know what's happening and want to go out of their way to watch it. And so I don't buy this oh, well, it's on the red button so people can access it is a bullshit for me because I wouldn't end up watching half of the shit I watch if it wasn't just on my telly. I would love the opportunity for people to stumble across women's rugby and sit down and watch it and find out that it's actually good and this is a, a great level. So we need to find a way of bridging a gap to bring that funding up and give the... But what 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 can happen then at club level? What What... what do you think there's a, a possibility of the WIU maybe seeing if they could put a team into the English Premiership? I know if we've kind of got a, a team in the English Premiership because I think half the Bristol Bays are uh, a Welsh anyway. But is there is there any way you could see that it would be sustainable at the moment? I think I think we there needs to have, at least have the conversation. So when it comes to the Premier, it's the Premier 15s, isn't it? So it needs to have a conversation where can we make it as a, as a 16th team? Um, is it a possibility that we can have, have a team in there, play cross-border sort of championship? Because let's, let's face it, a lot of the teams that play in that um, Premier 15s anyway aren't realistically that far away from Wales, are, are they? It's not a, like, there's not a massive travel um, Gloucester, Harpery, obviously, is just across the border. Bristol's just across the border. You've got, obviously, Harlequins, Wasps and so on, but we're going to be sort of London-based and stuff. But they're still only, what, only going to be a couple of hours on the on the bus, isn't it? Or, like, two hours on the train from Cardiff or whatever. So it, it's certainly something that's got to be considered because like, going back to the, the game on Saturday, like, if, if you were to give give medals for Hart and stuff, like, that, that Wales 23 didn't stop once like and you can see on the cot on the, on the interview with with them um, any crap after the game like she's just distraught because they've put everything into these two games like they, there's literally no, like she was taken off the field like with five minutes to go but played on for like 12 minutes injured because they'd made all their subs and it just shows that like like we have a little bit of insight into some of their sort of backgrounds and stuff and what they're what they're, what they're timetables are going to be like and with work and some of them, some of them are parents etc as well like some of these girls are getting up at half eight to do or eight o'clock in the morning to do school runs and not getting home till half ten eleven o'clock at night and then i've got to do the same thing the next day just gonna so, say the same thing there was um one one of the rugby followers i follow on twitter that put a, a schedule up for one of the women players yeah. and this is an, an elite, elite level international player yeah out of 14 hours of the day Doing school runs, doing her own work, doing her own schedule, 
and that's just not acceptable as you know as an elite level performer you know whether they're professional or not yeah. if you're an international player you shouldn't be having to deal you should be put into a bubble it should be a you know a proper professional training plan put in you know that's just not acceptable and you're never going to get the levels that you want to achieve if, if that's happening regularly are you no, I, well, I, I brought up the point earlier with the WIU with how much money they're throwing at trying to bring players home mm. and how they, they'd say in the players oh, you've got to have you've got to be playing in wheels to play four wheels but then for the women that's not even really an no. option like uh, there's no even semi-professional club that you can go for and play and no. commit your time to and then say and it, it, it shows the hypocrisy of it all when it came down to um, <coughs> When COVID hit and we were we were in the middle of a lockdown and Jamie Roberts came back to play for in Wales to play for the Dragons and then we said I'm going to commit some of my time to to the NHS and I'm going to going to become a doctor again and everyone got so excited it's unbelievable it's incredible this is what he's doing he's there on the front line and he's giving his time as well as playing rugby yet how many of those women players are actually already working for the NHS because there's so many yeah. frontline staff. That exactly. were working through that pandemic whilst also trying to train and didn't know what was happening with their games, didn't know when they'd be able to pick up a rugby ball again because they weren't afforded the same opportunities. It shows the way that the game is treated from yeah. one gender to another. It, it's a massive here, and I think it, it's an old that we, we're gonna have to be able to do at some point because. We do need uh more people shedding light on, on the women's game and next weekend. We'll give a good look and we'll, we'll look at these Six Nations and, and what's happening at the moment and then where the game can go because I think it's vitally important for the game that the women's game is brought up, you know, closer in parity to the men, even if it can't be brought up level for, for a while yet. Like, in the, the parity, we need to close that gap between the two. And there, yeah, is, a, there is an appetite as well because, uh, as you know, we're all, there's local teams around with us. There's three or four local women's teams Um there's people like we were in school with around the same age or a little bit younger than me, obviously, who started playing for a local team. Um, the appetite is there to play the game, and you know, and there's and like I know you'd listeners would have heard of somebody like the Dairy Diamonds, but they're doing fantastic, you know. And well, I, I obviously coaching mini rugby, and yeah. without girls playing the game, we wouldn't have had the team. We have more girls than boys playing for us. Yeah. And we, we're attracting, and obviously, like the hubs that have been set up by the WIU, there's girls turning up in their draws to play. At the moment, what the uh, what we're finding as well is the girls sort of drop off once contact comes in. Yeah. But that's always been because it's been girls and boys together up to a certain age, and then sort of girls have dropped off after a certain point. And this is where the hubs step in now. I'm pretty and I, for me, it's a little bit sad because I said, like, my team has folded because we had to separate boys from girls, and so we had to. To do the inevitable for the last year and say, but we need to to let them sort of go where they need to go in order to be able to carry on. But the appetite is there. Yeah. If we could get the TV coverage and the audience was there, yeah. Then maybe we'll see that the sponsorship is there, and actually we can bring this up. And it's a, a very young sport, really. Sort of mm-hmm. women's rugby. Up to a point where it's been banned in the past. I mean, they, they, they tried to claim that there was medical reasons that women couldn't play previously, and they, they've done all sorts to try and suppress a sport in general for women. Let's be honest. Sort of football was the same. There was no no mm. women's football team in Wales until till even there. So 
it's still relatively young and so it still needs that growth. But what we need is someone to give it a kick up the arse that it needs in putting it in places. Let's let's get you know, giving it giving it the coverage that it needs, whether that be on telly, whether that be through through websites, whether that be through podcasts, it just needs a bit more coverage and to bring it up. So yeah. Anyway, that's that's my rant. Uh that's my rant. And they can and they can hold the drink just as well or even better than some of the men's team. <laughs> Well, I think we've, you know, it, it's just, it pisses me off the idea that it, it's not as good a quality when yeah. you're for big down the gender, when in fact the reason that it's often not as good a quality is because they're not given the facilities, the time and the pay yeah. that, that men are given, which is what affords you to become a full-time professional and commit to your sport. So when you can spend five days a week training and do what you need to do, that that's obviously a little bit easier than when you're trying to fit it in after you've just done a fucking eight-hour shift. So um, anyway, we'll it, move... goes, it goes back to what we said a couple of weeks ago, though, Steph, with, on our on our little chat where we were all talking about best inside centres in Britain at the minute, and we all we all said Emily Scarrett. Emily Scarrett, yeah, yeah. she's just got to be included here somewhere. Yeah, it, doesn't ma- it doesn't matter what, what what who you choose; she's the best in in, in in England at the minute or Britain, should I say? Well, I, I mean there's players that we could be looking at for the for the Lions if we we're allowed to uh, yeah no exactly yeah. to move across um we leave uh, we leave this weekend's games there yeah we're all fairly in agreement then about women's rugby so based on tweets that came out a little while back we're going to do things that perhaps not everyone will agree on so what I wanted was unpopular opinions the perfect name for a segment for this. As obviously already, as with everything good in rugby, being done by Squidge. So I think Coriel to die on was probably the best phrase to sum this up. <laughs> but that was Squidge who invented that, so I can't I can't take it. So we're just gonna call it unpropular opinion. Mm. Just so I because you know I love to shoe on a, a rugby reference into anything that we do. So unpropular opinions, and we'll ask for some for next week. But this week I'm gonna come to you. So Wall. Let's start off with your. I know you've got fucking loads. No I've, got, your... I, I, no, I've got one. Well, only one I want for this week, and you can bring one in in, in future weeks. I've only got one. So, and this is purely, purely for on the field rugby styles, nothing to do with anything else off pitch. I want to get this out, out of the way now. Right, come on then. I kind of like the playing styles of Leinster and Exeter, and the game at the weekend was very, very good. Well, I will say Exeter don't get the um, the credit they deserve for their playing style because I would say that actually their backs are quite quite good and they throw yeah. the ball around quite a bit. And it's only in that last twenty that they do the will shift up the jumper and push over the line, but obviously because people see highlights and they see the shortened game and they see clips, that's what they see most of. But actually, they're quite... I mean, you don't get players like Codero playing, like Hogg playing, like as much as you do see, like Slade playing. Or someone like Flaherty. Yeah, or Flaherty, yeah. Yeah, you don't get those players on your in your team without being able to play an attacking brand of rugby. So I think, ah, oh, that fucking Leinster, man. I've deliberately avoided that game mm. because I probably, at the push, could have watched it. I thought, I'm not having that's my one game this weekend. So <laughs> I deliberately avoided it thinking, I can't watch what's going to be the most boring game of rugby. And then it wasn't. I picked the most exciting game of rugby that, and that wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um <sighs> What I want, what I'll do is uh, these three and 
proper opinions, we'll put out to a Twitter poll as well and let people um, judge whether you're right or not. So, similar to Leedlow, but perhaps a little bit easier than that. Uh, mm-hmm. Gad, what's your unpopular opinion? Well, first of all, I might have a wrong name for you. You call it the Mike Brown round. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but this is technically, it's not unpopular to actual rugby fans. It's more to the general Welsh public. Um, Wayne Barnes is a great referee. And right. he's not at least a slight bit biased when he referees Wales games. I'm going to agree with you, and I 100% agree that it is kind of an unpopular opinion. If you're looking at, at an overall Welsh problem, my father hates him. Mm-hmm. My father hates him. I acknowledged a couple of weeks ago that he hates him because of something that happened like six years ago or something, and I, he still never got over. So I will accept it is perhaps an unpopular opinion in the grand scheme of it all. And yeah, you're right. He, he's a fantastic ref. He just takes the time to explain things, and he knows the laws of the game, and you know he's very affable, and he just... All right, he can be a little nitpicky, but surely that's what a ref is there to do. I'm going to throw in two caveats to yeah. the Wayne Barnes thing. Though. The yeah. first one being the overexcitement of him being able to speak French. Oh, yeah. It, is, it does my head in. I don't think it's a... Some French players have always said, well, it doesn't help because it's sort of pigeon French, and so it's not as good if he just spoke English. There's been large periods of the game where he spoke then entirely French, which completely takes away the point of why he was speaking French to even things up. Mm. And then, third of all, a lot of what he says in front is advantage. And I think they could have differentiated the two, to be honest. Exactly. I don't think, what, what does advantage mean? I got like, no, I think, I think they would have worked it out. The second thing is, as much as I like Wayne Barnes and as good a referee as he is, I love his wife so much more. Yeah. Polly's absolutely fantastic, yeah. one of the best people on Twitter. So I've got loads of love for Polly. So I will agree with you as long as we add the caveat in that Wayne Barnes is an excellent ref and a great guy, but not as good as his wife. Yeah. Okay, then. <laughs> right. So we've all agreed on that one. So we'll put that one. Um, my unpopular opinion is that I think scrums are really fucking enjoyable. And I love watching them. So I know that people will fucking hate that one. But mm. you can reset the scrum as many times as you like. You People saying, oh, we should stop the clock. Bullshit. This is the best thing. Or maybe not the best thing, but one of the best things in the game. I love a good scrum. And you can't tell me you don't get excited if a team is dominant at the scrum. Or when you're not expecting a team to compete at the scrum and suddenly they get parity and it's nice. And, and when it's perfectly level and no one moves anyway, that's joyous to me. So yeah. I know that there's a lot of hate for scrums. My unpopular opinion is I think they're incredible, enjoyable, and I love watching them. So I would have, I would have argued this point a little bit before Saturday. Mm. But in Saturday's game, the Irish pack were absolutely dominant against the Welsh pack and the Wales got pushed off their ball uh, like a lot of times doing that game but in the second half there's one scrum that in particular happens where it's probably a lot more even and Wales actually get given a penalty for it and I think I screamed more then than I did when Doohan won Wales the Grand Slam in the France-Scotland game because you could see that Yes, for the whole match, they've been utterly dominant. But for that 30 seconds or a minute, we got parity and dominated them for that one. And it was like, there's like a little bit of a glimmer at the end of the tunnel, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not going to argue with you. I would have potentially had 
things to come to, to come back on. But after Saturday, no, I agree. Well, I'm an ex-prop, so I am going to agree. But I, I have I got one caveat on this, and the art of hooking is gone. The art I of hooking is gone. This is the ball just goes straight through the legs now. I mean, what's the? I mean, you 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 got to play like I was playing youth rugby, whatever. You, and you'd have you know, a hooker would be taken off and taught, you know, the art of the hook, the art of the, the catching the ball, and it's just it's. You could bring up an old generation of players then who, who can't hook. And some things like that, sometimes they just... I think, what's the point of the scrum when the ball just goes straight in and straight out the other side? Uh, but in general, yeah, I think I love the scrum. So well, I've got to say that we, we're all in agreement then. Hmm. But I do agree that maybe the hook thing... But I do think it's come back a little bit as well, now that they've been made the hook and that sort of thing. I'm... Yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw to you, I'm gonna throw him under the bus a little bit because he it was a tweet that he put out that NA still deleted. But I remember um staying up to watch Brazil against the Maoris a couple of years ago and it was like an early morning, well like late night, early morning kickoff because it was in Brazil. Um Brazil put in the best scrub I've ever seen of one against the head against the All Blacks and they did against the Maoris who went backpedaling and Duncan Bell tweeted I must <laughs> on the back of it, and I, it's the absolutely perfect tweet. And I wish you hadn't deleted it because it was great. It's one of the best tweets ever, and I agree. I was up at like it must be like three o'clock in the morning, and so I'm really glad I made the decision to stay up for that scrum alone. So I love a scrum. No, the you one know, for me, the one, one quick thing, sorry, is um, you know, like years ago, you, you sort of get your stereotypical the props are fat, the the, the second rows are lanky bean poles, you know, the you know, the sort of just before the days of press professionalism. Scrums at least held years ago. You see so many collapsed scrums now because they're all built like brick shit houses, right? And you know, they're going in at 90 miles an hour, and you see a lot more collapsed scrums now than you've ever seen in the past. Mm. And that frustrates me a little bit. But in general, like I said, if I see somebody, especially the team you're supporting, if you know that they're dominating the scrum, I love it. Mm. I can't wait for the scrum to come along and think, oh, yes, we can have them in the scrum. We're going to gain a penalty out of this. Are we going to gain yardage? Are we going to? Get a platform to build on. So, in general, yeah, scrums are great, but sometimes the, the collapsing of the scrum really pisses me off. And so, playing into those stereotypes, mm. I'm going to leave unpropular opinion there. I haven't got a jingle yet, so I can do this as one link. There will be jingles. There's jingles are plenty coming in the summer. Um, and we'll move on to really quickly because I've got about 10 minutes left of running through. I give you both a task. So, this week was WrestleMania. So, it was to pick your 15, your wrestling 15. We are going to have to run some quick. So, uh, Gat, go on, kick us off. Right, so I've got prop as Bam Bam Bigelow, because he's yeah. a big guy, but he's mobile. Kevin Owens as hooker, Vader as, as Lou said. Second row, Omos, who was like seven foot odd, and Jane Gonzalez, who was eight foot, so you wouldn't even have to jump in the line out. Cesaro at flanker, basically just because he played a rugby character in wrestling once, so he's just in on that. Um, Goldberg at number eight and Sheamus at uh, seven, open side. Rey Mysterio as my number, uh, scrum half because he's quite small and light and nippy. Joe Michaels because he's got a, a super kick at 10. Um, Jeff Hardy on the wing. Edge and Roman Reigns are centres because they can spear, tackle. 
Uh, Ricochet on the other wing and Bret Hart a scrum off because he's the excellence of execution. Brilliant. Some of those say I almost went for Kevin Owens yeah. based on the fact he looks like Oka and his yeah. name is almost Ken Owens. Yeah. And Vader for my loose head because I thought, yeah, he's got that bit. And then he looks like he'd be good around the park because he was obviously yeah. more athletic than he ever looked. So yeah. he was he was made for prop. Quanin Wall. So uh, I've got loose head Rikishi. He's a beast. Uh, I'll get Triple H because he's a sly old dog, like almost most hookers are. Um, number three, the Godfather, because we all know that props bring, props bring the party. Mm. Um, we've got um, second rows, Kane and the Undertaker, the Brothers of Destruction. Mm. I've got JBL as six because he's an absolute brute. <coughs> um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Edge at seven because he loves a good spear tackle. The Rock at, at eight, size and ball carrying ability. Uh, nine, Rey Mysterio, short, fast, and exciting. Ten, Macho Man Randy Savage, because they all think they're macho. Mm-hmm. Um, Eleven, <laughs> I've got Jeff Hardy, because he's high-flying tricks. Batista at 12, straight lines, hard-hitting. Thirteen, Ultimate Warrior, they're all flamboyant. Fourteen, Rowdy Roddy Piper, because unlike Gats, I'm not afraid to pick a Scotsman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fifteen, Shawn Michaels, Switching music confirms he's at least good at kicking. So I nicked that off Gats because I already had it written on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> I um I for- I can't believe I forgot JPL, who actually played rugby and set up a rugby charity. On yeah. It. So and he's a massive fan of rugby. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wrote a massive article about once on the charity setup. I know he's anyway. Um, so I've kind of based mine on stereotypes of positions. So I'll go through my forwards first and I'll do my back second. So I've got Braun Strowman at eight because you wouldn't want him peeling off a back of the scrum and trying to tackle him. Uh, Eddie Guerrero at seven because he lies, he cheats, he steals, and that sounds like every open side I've ever seen. Uh, Triple H is at six because he's a proper hard man, slightly psychotic, strong as hell, nobody's favourite despite clearly being the best one. And um, I almost went Chris Benoit, but there's obviously issues with picking him. <laughs> I've got Kane and Taker in the second row as well. The big, angry, scary, hard as fuck, fit as hell, but somehow slow. Um, and the ability to keep going until death. So they're made for the second row. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow is my tight dead, fat lad. Never got the recognition for how technically good he was. That's the perfect tight dead. Uh, Mankind at Ucca. So athletic enough to get by, mad enough to, to do it well. And he's already got that hooker inch as well, which is like part of, part of the course if you're going to play hooker. Uh, Brock Lesnar, then, as Milou said, because he was he's a big fucker, he's overly aggressive, he's strong as fuck, he never looks happy. That's every every loose head I've ever played with. Mm-hmm. Um, Ultimate Warrior at 15, fast, slightly an inch, not technically good enough for 10. That's where he'd rather be uh, and tries to make up through with enthusiasm. John Cena on the right wing. Should be the most exciting, but isn't, and is just annoying as hell. Uh, edge at 13 for the same reason. That's be a tackle. That defence would be superb, so he's, he's leading my defence out. Rock at 12, technically brilliant, fit as hell. Wouldn't want to defend against him on a crash ball. And I can't smell what he's cooking, but if it's a local rugby club, it's obviously going to be sausage and chips. Because that's <laughs> the fucking law. Uh, Ray Mysterio is my 11, because he's basically just chiseling cold being a mask. Uh, Mr. Perfect is my 10. Class, in control, never put a foot wrong overtly confident and A that's been spent a bit too much time on absolutely nailed on for outside half and then my nine uh, controversially is Jimmy Mouth of the South Heart because he was a little fucker who never stopped talking and never fought his own fights so I think he's nailed on for scrum half in my team that reminds me of every, every scrum half I've ever spoken every scrum half is Jimmy Hart so yeah. <laughs> that's my uh, my wrestling 15 
So, moving on to wrapping up, we'll do our winners and wankers for this week. We'll go wankers first because I think it's been one of those ones we've tried there to finish on uh, a positive note. So, come on, Evo, let's have your wankers. Uh, the two all French quarterfinals. Yeah. And uh, anyone that finds the need to abuse someone else, whether that person has worked their bollocks off and have done more than that person criticizes them, has so basically, if someone's going to be abusive, understand that the person you're abusing is better than you anyway, is more qualified to do the job that you're abusing them about, and simply don't fucking abuse them. It's just fucking shit. Uh, got your bunkers this week. Uh, only one I've got, and that's a Tonga coach, Tutai Kefu, who has yeah. given the opportunity for that misogynistic, homophobic, god fearing prick to come back into rugby union. So, yeah, it's I've missed that. Has, has he really? Yeah, and, oh, uh, he said that he sense. believes that his beliefs are probably in line with a lot of people in the Tonga setup, which uh, way to throw all your teammates under a bus as well. Yeah, um, yeah I forgot about that one. That's yeah, so a really good shout. Uh, my wankers this week, I've also gone for for French rugby because that quarterfinal was absolutely horrific. And um, I've gone for the Scarlet because their performance was a shambles and then to come out using the excuse of they were using Wales as an excuse. And I love Simon and I love the Scarlet. And so, as I said, I try to keep my tongue in cheek and so it obviously will be, but Jesus Christ. But yeah, I think 100% Gato's nailed it for wanker of the week with... Uh, uh, you win as well. Um, I've I've used a couple because we've already talked about it, so I'm going to put um, Jalabi for having massive balls to kick that final winning penalty for for Bordeaux. Um, Showing little crap for just her being just fucking immense, just, just, being, just her. being her, basically the female Alan Wynne Jones. Um, but I'm going to finish on Baby Parsons, the island left wing. Um, personally, I'd never heard of her before, but. She for me was like the female version of Duan on Saturday. She, every time she had the ball, it took like six or seven players to bring her down. Always looked dangerous. And if you were to, we were chatting about it earlier on. If you were to look at um, picking a Lions fifteen for women at the minute, a lot of them would be English, but she has to be on one of the wings. So yeah, definitely her. God, right. Well, I I got to change mine slightly due to the sentiment of the one guys because I did have French rugby teams as my winners. But um, I am going to go, even though they've actually lost heavily, I'm going to go the Wales women rugby team as winners, as in a moral victory of winners, because in the face of adversity, the 14-hour days they're doing, the lack of funding, the lack of everything, yeah. and they still got the heart to get on that pitch and uh, play for their country and um, represent. Brilliant. Uh, my my winner for this week, uh, the man who, who's found redemption, as I said earlier, uh, Steve Tandy is my winner on the back of having a difficult time with the Ospreys. You're so lucky you just said those two words, Steve Tandy. I thought you were going to say Dwayne Peel and I was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Dwayne had nothing to redeem himself from. He's been nothing but quality player and coach. Um, no, Steve Tandy for, for everything that he's done. Um like I said, he, he kind of got outcast from, from Welsh rugby on the back of the Ospreys and dealing with an incredibly difficult time at the region then. And I mean, you could see how it went down with the players' reaction, especially in some press conferences on the back of it. And yeah, to come back in the way he has to, to move from there to, to super rugby into international rugby and now 
as a Lions coach, absolutely superb. So fair play to the guy, absolutely brilliant. It's great to see a Welsh coach do well always, but especially when they've they've had a difficult time like that. Um, I've run out of time. I was going to do a quick um, quiz at the end. Mm. I realised that I'm... Uh, basically, I've put a quiz up on Twitter. So we've got an, a nice little game of Egg or Lions coach, which is my new... Uh, game show that I'm pitching to ITV this week mm. so I've literally, there's 10 pitches up there, uh, the tops of either eggs or the eggs of Lions coaches, just have a guess which they are, so we would have done them tonight I've run out the time, I've got to go uh, Wall, you're looking really confused, but if you go to my pinned tweet you'll, right, see okay. picture, yeah. you'll see a picture of Clive Woodward as an egg Yeah. and then if you scroll okay, yeah The no. eggs or the top coaches' heads. Just have a guess. Let me know which they are. Um, That'll keep me. Uh... If you want to, if you want to go through a bit order later on and, and send them to me, and then we'll decide whether they are indeed lines coaches or eggs. Awesome. And I think that's where we leave. <laughs> Gat, thanks so much for for coming on. It's been great. We told you we'd have you have you back on, having done the uh, the quiz one. So it's great to finally get you. And on a week as well, we're Dwayne Peel returned home to the motherland. Um, <laughs> I just, can I just have one request? Yeah. Can we have the the title of this week's pod as Dwayne Peel is a fucking Judas? No. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm not even going to thank you after that. Um, now to to finish off, we're all just going to give a quick uh, version of Amaro Heed and then. <laughs> no, thank you both, boys. Thanks everyone for listening, and uh, it's been rock and roll. Cheers. Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.